Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life, so we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com and pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. Well, good morning, church family. We have been in this series over the last couple of weeks where we've been talking about blown expectations. And in this series, we've really mentioned the fact that you don't have to have been alive for very long before you recognize that people will disappoint you and circumstances will disappoint you. And even what we talked about two weeks ago is that, that even God sometimes will disappoint you. And the truth about this is when we've been talking about our expectations versus our experiences is that uh, what, one of the things we can choose to do is we can choose to lower our level of expectations down to the level of our experience. And people that do that end up becoming very bitter and very cynical and, and struggle in relationships and struggle sometimes in life because of, of taking it to a place where we, we're feeling like everything is, is going wrong and going against us. But w- there's another way. And what we've been talking about in this series is that what we can do is we can allow God to, um, to help us and mend us and heal us through this gap that we experience between our experiences and our expectations. And when we do that, what God will eventually do is he will take us through to a place where he absolutely blows our expectations. And we're going to continue today uh, where we've been talking about what do you do when, um, uh, when other people don't disappoint your expectations? And what do you do when God disappoints your expectations? But today I want to talk about what do you do when you disappoint the expectations of other people? So today I want to talk to you about uh, how to never be controlled by the expectations of other people again. Man, how's that for a statement? How's that for a promise? There's a lot of expectation on that. How to never be controlled by the expectations of others again. Now, I'm not saying that because of something clever that I have to say up here. I'm saying that because I believe that God shows us as we look in John chapter 12 that that Jesus doesn't want us to be controlled by the expectations of others. And I believe there's a lot that we can take from this chapter today. So I'm going to go ahead and dive right back in and start reading. This is another passage about Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And it says this in verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now, John must have been smiling when he was uh, recalling this and writing this because he was there. He, He remembered the experience. He remembered seeing Jesus show up on the scene and raise Lazarus. Verse two says, here a dinner was given in Jesus's honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took out a pint a pure nard, an expensive perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why was it this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. 
You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And then these next couple of verses don't necessarily pertain to the subject today, but I find them very funny, so I want to share them with you. Uh, verse 9 says, Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus. So now all of a sudden Lazarus is like a famous person and people are coming to him to see him. He's signing autographs and all he did was die. <laughs> Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus. Think about that. They made plans to kill Lazarus for on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. This is funny because if you're Lazarus, a death threat isn't very threatening to you anymore. What are you gonna do, kill me? Like, I've already been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, just keep Jesus close by, they can say what they wanna say, <laughs> right? Church, would you pray with me before we dive into this text today? Heavenly Father, um, we ask for you to speak to us right now. We, we pray that as you're in this room with us that you would just open up this passage to us so that uh, we could understand what it is that you want each of us to learn. So I pray I'd get out of the way that it wouldn't be the opinions of me or, or any other man. God, we want your word today. So help us now. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I, I feel like before we dive into this text, um, I need to stop for a moment and, and do a little mini teaching because... Um, as I was preparing for this message, and we're talking about, you know, anytime that we disappoint people because of other people having expectations on us that are different from God's plan for our life. If I was to just jump into that subject, what each of us could have a tendency of doing, what I know certainly I could do is, is we get into a text and we, we put ourselves in the, in the seat of, of uh, the story where we're the star character. And, and certainly I'm Mary that, that has been uh, treated wrongly in this, for instance. And, and we could very easily use a passage like this and a teaching like this as an excuse but anytime we get into God's word, God's word is never an excuse for us to just stay where we are. God's word is always a challenge to get us to move forward from where we are. So we can't use this as an excuse. Well, I'm just trying to be like Mary. I'm just gonna sit here at the feet of Jesus. Well, well maybe that's an excuse that we're using to just be lazy, right? That, that's not what we're doing today. So I wanna start off with just, here's the mini teaching, quick little seminar. This is free. You get this one for free. You can take it home with you. But uh, it's this. Before we dive into this, you need to know that there are certain people that have the right to hold proper expectations on you. There are. That you have different relationships in life. There are things that you're in contractual agreement, might be your workplace, where they have the right to hold expectations to you. In fact, uh, when it comes to your employer, he has the right or she has the right to hold you to certain expectations. And in fact, our, it's so funny because our culture has such an aversion to accountability in the workplace that it's funny how people will react anytime there's a struggle at work. I started noticing this more and more and more once I became an employer and I have people that work for me now, but uh, I've heard lots of people who have talked about losing their job. And, and have you noticed, I have never once heard someone who got fired from their job that it was their fault. Has anyone ever recognized this before? 
It's always somebody else's fault. It's always the boss's fault. It's always their expectation. It's always because they do this and do that. And it's, it's never, it couldn't possibly have been my fault. But see, the truth is the, that your employer has the right because uh, of an agreement for you to work for them to hold you to certain expectations. Now, along with that, we, we have to recognize that, uh, that there's an appreciation level that is coming to us simply because we work there. Because over and over again, I talk to people and they're like, man, I just, I get no appreciation at work. I just go there and they work me. I get no appreciation. I'm like, wait, wait, hold on. Do they pay you? <laughs> well, yeah, they pay me. Well, payment is a form of appreciation. <laughs> it's like when you show up at work and do your job and they pay you, that, that's appreciation. That, that should be good enough. And, and I've, I hear people all the time, this, man, all I do, I show up, I get, I get no appreciation. I go to work and they just they want me to just work, work, work. They just work me to death, just work. all. Hold on. So you're saying you go to work and they want you to work? Oh my gosh, it's horrible. But there, there's a right, it's a proper expectation that's put on you. There are certain expectations that are good. Your family has the right to put expectations on you. And, and when there's a frustration of going, I, you know, I, I want you to be home with us. I want you to eat dinner. I want you to, to show up at, in the conversation. Uh, sometimes there's a frustration there where, where your spouse might feel like they're getting the leftovers and you know the truth is they are getting the leftovers. There are certain areas in our life where, where we are, are held to higher expectations and that's truth and that is a good thing. But what we are talking about today is different than that. We're not talking about not fulfilling the expectations on us that are a good thing. We're talking about what happens when people have an expectation of you to not do life the way that God wants you to do life. And you end up disappointing people and people get frustrated with you and criticize you. And when we look here uh, today in John chapter 12, we see a scenario where Mary is, is a prisoner of false expectations that are put on her. She goes into a room to, to meet with Jesus and, and, and to worship Jesus. And, and she has expectations put on her, not because of what she didn't do, but they began criticizing Mary because what she does that people started feeling like, wait, this is overboard. That's too much. That's extravagant. It, like you don't need to do that much. It, it seemed inappropriate to the people around her that weren't willing to do what she was willing to do. There's a quote from Aristotle that goes this, like this. He says, there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. <laughs> Isn't that so true? There's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Essentially saying the only way that you are gonna make it through life without criticism is to sell out to complacency. To get to a point where you're like, I'm just not willing to do anything or be anything anymore. And, and that's not the type of life that God calls us to. And we see here in, in Mary's story, we see that Mary comes into a room filled with men and she has something on her mind that she wants to do for the Lord that other people aren't going to approve of because they feel like it's too much. They feel like it's extravagant. And I want to take you through the details of it very briefly. And I want you to insert your own details into this story about your own life. Because the Bible says that what she did is she took a pint of pure nard. This is a, a very expensive perfume. And we don't know how she got it. We don't know if it was a family heirloom or something, but she had this very expensive pint of Purinard that the Bible said was worth one year's wages. 
So do that right now. Calculate in your mind what one year of your salary is, one year of your wages is. And, and the Bible says that she takes something of that great value and in one moment of worship, in one moment of extravagant love for God, she decides to break the end off the bottle and pour it out on the feet of Jesus. In one moment, just pouring out love. And people didn't understand it. They didn't get it. Because, I mean, we look at the story and we know that, that this was something that, that people would take nard and they would use it to, to pour it out on the body of a loved one who had passed away. But Jesus was still alive. So regardless of what anyone else thought in the room, she decided that she was going to give a gift that cost her so much, that meant so much to her, she was going to pour it out on the feet of Jesus. Now, here in verse 2, we see that everyone is in their character of what we've seen them do so far in, in the passages. We see that here the, there's a dinner that was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served. And the Bible says she just simply served. It, 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 so obviously she's a little more developed now. She's not expecting other people to do what she feels like is the expectation on herself. She's just serving God because she feels like that's what she's supposed to do. And then the Bible says that while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him, of course he is. Of course he's reclining. Have you noticed that every time we read about Lazarus, the dude is never upright? <laughs> he's always laying down or he's dead, right? Like, oh, lazy Russ. <laughs> oh, I know that's corny. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you might call your teenagers that. Next time you just see him laying around, oh, lazy Russ, it's time to get back up. Give back up. Lazarus is, is lying around. But it's, it's part of the tradition. It's part of the culture here because around, it says they used to recline around the table. So it was like they had beds and couches that were around their table, not chairs. These people had it figured out. They would just lay down at the table and eat together. How many of you wish we could just bring back laying down at the table again? Right? It's biblical. I say, I'm just, I'm, I'm, lay, I'm trying to be like Jesus, right? <laughs> but they're, they're laying around. So Martha's serving. Lazarus is laying around. Did I break my mic? I'm sorry. <laughs> Lazarus is laying around, and then we see that Mary comes in to do what she wants to do. She wants to worship God, and she wants to do it in a very extravagant way. She anoints her master's feet with a fragrance that cost her so much. And again, this would be customary for her to do after his death, but he does it while she's still alive. Uh, she does it while he's still alive. She does it six days before Jesus um, goes to be crucified. She does this in a way that, if you think about it, there's no command for her to do something like this. There's nowhere in the scriptures that says, what you should do is six days before Jesus um, uh, goes to be crucified, you should take the most expensive thing you have and go pour it on his feet. No, this was something that, that was on her heart to do to show gratitude and love to Jesus. And, and she does this in a way, and when she does, everyone around her is uncomfortable. Wait a minute, that seems overboard. I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. There's only one person in the room that understands what Mary's trying to do, and that's Jesus. But we get, we, we get a little insight to why she chooses to do this from verse 2. Because verse 2 says this, Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. 
Okay, so watch this. Uh, Martha's serving, Lazarus is chilling, Mary's worshiping, the disciples are all hanging out, eating and stuff like that, but the dinner wasn't for Martha. And the dinner wasn't for Lazarus. The dinner wasn't for the disciples. The dinner was, the dinner was for Jesus. And, and, and I want you to get this point is that when Jesus has the seat of honor, the objection, objections of other people lose their weight. And I think so many of us, we struggle in life with our walk with God and, and, and understanding the expectations of other people because we don't have Jesus in the seat of honor. And we go through life trying to, trying to please this person and please that person, but when, when, when the dinner is thrown for Jesus, it doesn't matter what anyone else is thinking. What matters is this is for Jesus. We have a tradition in my family, and I love this tradition that um, uh, we will, whoever's birthday it is, will get to decide what we're going to do that day and what we're going to eat that day. The eat that day is a very big, important thing in our family. Because I don't know if your family is as dysfunctional as mine, but um, I think one of the biggest arguments we get into on a regular basis is where are we just going to go to lunch today? Does anyone else in here feel that struggle? Is it just me? Do I need counseling? I don't know. But I mean, it comes up all the time that we all have our different things we want to do. It's like, I want Mexican food and Amelie wants a salad. And, and the girls are both upset about that because no, I want Burger King. And the kid's like, no, I want Chick-fil-A. You know, she wants her number one with the lemonade. And <laughs> sorry, some of you might've caught that. Some of you, no, don't, don't worry about it. Um, but it's like, we all have our different thing. And it's like, I'm let down because what I wanted was my Chick-fil-A. I'm let down because I wanted my Mexican food. We didn't get what we wanted and we're all set. And it's not fair, right? Because I had an expectation and it got blown. But hold on a second. Every once in a while, a birthday will come around. And every once in a while, it's the man's birthday. <laughs> every once in a while, the girls will say, I want my Chick-fil-A and I want my salad. And they'll say, I don't care what you want because what we're doing is we're eating all you can eat ribs today. Dad's going to get fat today. Let's be happy because it's going to be a good day at Famous Days, right? Can I get it? Amen. Woo. And why? Because on that day, the dinner's thrown for me. On that day, it, do, it doesn't matter all the other things. And I think that we see something with Mary here. We see that she gets it here. She understands something here that this, this dinner is not in honor of Judas. This dinner is not in honor of the disciples. This dinner is not for Lazarus. This dinner is not for Martha. This dinner is for Jesus. And with that type of an understanding, if he has the seat of honor, I don't care what anyone else has to say. I'm going to do what I came here to do. I'm going to worship at his feet and I'm going to give him the honor that he deserves. And see, the Bible is so interesting is the Bible uses this word honor and honor in its transliteration, if we go all the way back to Hebrew, it's the same word used as glory. It's the word kabod. And kabod can be literally translated to weight. That there's a weightiness to honor. So when you say I'm honoring God, what I'm saying is I'm giving God more weight than I give anything else. So if I honor God's word, what I'm saying is, you know what? Your word might be important and have some weight, and, the, the, and this person's word might be important and have some weight, and the, these people on TV, their word might be important and have some weight, but God's word has so much more weight. It has so much, so it doesn't matter because he is the one at the seat of honor. I wonder who has the seat of honor in your life? Who has that seat of honor? Because when you understand that Jesus has the seat of honor, the 
objections of other people quickly lose their weight. And man, don't you know people will have objections? I, I think we need to point out that when John is recording this story, he first points out that this is the same Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead because he wanted us to see that um, before Mary did anything for Jesus, Jesus did something for Mary. Because we need to recognize sometimes, like it's not like we're doing a bunch of good for God. He has already done everything good for us. He has already, we have a track record of us not being okay and him being good. And, and I don't deserve it, but he still loves me. And I keep failing him, but he's still faithful to me. I, 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 I keep messing up, but he still loves me. He still extends his grace. And see, when you start understanding that is the God that we serve, it's like, whoa, the opinions of other people, the, the, the weight of other people just got really light. I don't care anymore because he is the one that deserves the seat of honor. And man, you, you, you start deciding you're going to follow God. You start deciding you're going to start going to church. Everyone is going to have their opinions about what should matter and what shouldn't. And I know for so many of you in this room, you've experienced it where, where people start asking you questions like, man, why do you go to that church? All those weird people out there showing up on Sunday. And it's like, and then there's people going back and serving on Tuesday nights and Wednesday. Why, why do you do all that? That doesn't even make sense. And, and, and the truth is there are so many people. People have opinions. They have opinions about everything. And there comes a point where we have got to get it down in our soul to go, wait a minute. It's like my God who's done so much for me, he has the power to raise me to life. And it's like, you don't have that power. So you have words. And I appreciate that you have an opinion, but you got to understand I have the right to ignore your opinion. I have the right to blow it off because I am not doing this. Like I'm going to church and I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him. And I'm going to church and serving and I'm not doing it for you. I'm doing it for him. Why are you giving down to that church? Well, look, here's the good news. I'm not giving for you. I'm giving for him. So you don't have to concern yourself with that so much anymore because, because you're not the one in the seat of honor. He's the one in the seat of honor. He's the one in the place. And when, when we start to recognize that that's, it's him in the seat of honor, man, it changes everything. What, what kind of confidence would it bring to your life if you were not subject to the changing opinions of men and women in your life, but you were only subject to the word of God? Man, I wish I could say I have that down. I wish I could stand here and be like, man, I'm, I do it God's way all the time. And I feel, no, no. Like everyone in this room, I, I struggle with going, I, I don't want to let these people down. I don't want to let them down. I don't want to offend these people. I don't want to be in, in conflict over here. And it's like we, there's this wrestling that goes on. And what would it be like to be free of that? To, to put God in such a seat of honor to go, you know what, everyone else does have their opinions, but, but just as they're entitled to their opinion, I'm entitled to ignore it because his word is weighty. His word deserves honor. And see, when you decide to do something extravagant for God, when you decide to break a bottle over his feet, when you, when you do something that other people think is above and beyond, you'll be criticized. Because that extravagance, it's like, it, it's, a, it's cool to some people and very offensive to others. And I wonder, if you haven't been criticized in a while, maybe you need to ask yourself, when was the last time you broke a bottle open for God? When was the last time you did something extravagant? Because when you do something extravagant for God, it's not gonna be a neutral act. It will upset people. 
The Bible tells us this. It tells us that in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. But watch this. It, it doesn't smell sweet to everyone. This aroma of Christ. Verse 16. To the one, we are a smell of death. To the other, the fragrance of life. So it's the same smell, the same act of worship, and Jesus loved it. And Judas hated it. Who are you living for? Are, are you living for the one who has the seat of honor? Are you living for the Judas who, who has his critiques and has his opinions of how you should serve God and how you should do your life? See, just like this that we said a moment ago, there's only one way to avoid criticism. To do nothing, to say nothing, and to be nothing. And what I want to do, we only have a couple moments left. I want to give you three takeaway points because I feel like these are three things that can help you and I navigate on a daily basis. How do we live in a culture and how do we live around family members and friends who, who have an expectation of what it looks like for us to serve God that might not be in line with us serving God? That might not be what God created us for. So I want to take from this story three things that we see that Mary did, three things that you and I can apply to our lives, and then we will go. So are you guys ready for this? You want three points? Bring it, on. Bring it on. Here we go. Number one. This is what Mary did. Number one, look above and see who the dinner is in honor of. You have to look above and see who the dinner is in honor of. See, Judas' words have weight, but Jesus' words have so much more weight. And up to this point, we see in the passage that, that this is what Mary was there to do, is to worship God, because this was all about him. And when you, get, when you can step back and say, listen, I'm not doing this for you. I'm not doing this for your opinion. I'm not doing this to make you happy. I'm doing this for him. When you can get that, then all of a sudden, all of the objections of other people lose their weight. That was the first thing. Number one, look above and see who the dinner is in honor of. She looked above to a higher authority. And then number two, she looked beneath. You have to look beneath the insult. And when you look beneath the insult, it gives you the ability to overlook the offense. Behind every insult, there is a motive going on that we don't know about. And in hindsight, John wrote about what the actual motive was. He was writing about Judas in verse 6, and he said, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. See, a lot of times uh, when, when people have an objection to you doing something good, it doesn't have anything to do with you. A lot of the times when people have objections, it's something that's going on deep within their own hearts. And, and I'm not saying that we should just point the finger at other people and start judging them and start looking for what's wrong in other people. But, but John started pointing out the fact that there was a motive taking place here. And she was receiving criticism based on her great act of love. And what she was doing is she was taking her resources and using them in worship to God. Now, who had a problem with that was the person who was taking their resources and trying to use them in honor of themselves. And any time you see someone who, who God is working on an issue deep within their hearts and within their lives, it's like it's real easy going, since I'm not doing that, I have a criticism about it. I've never met anyone who has a problem with someone worshiping and serving God who is worshiping and serving God. It's always the one who's sitting at home on the couch 
I've never met anyone who has a problem with, with, with giving to God and using our, our resources to move his kingdom forward except for the ones who don't give. It's like all that church ever talks about is money. No, we talk about a lot of things. It's like it's only the people that say that are, are the ones that, that God is still tugging on their hearts going, there's a part of you that, that you're still holding on to and trusting more than me. I, I should probably get off this point right here, but I, I feel like there's something that we need to recognize is when we do acts that, that are extravagant and we're, we're loving God and giving him more of my time, giving him more uh, of my resources, giving him more of my heart and work, pouring out to him, just worshiping him. It's always the people that, that aren't doing that that have the motive on the inside where now I'm gonna start throwing criticism out there. I don't like the way you're doing it. This doesn't seem right. You should, you should have spent that differently. You could have done this differently and given to the poor. And so all this criticism comes up, but somehow she was able to recognize there's something else going on here. Now, you and I have already read the story. We already know that, that, that obviously the Bible says Judas betrayed uh, uh, Jesus and, and Judas was a thief and that's why he, but Mary didn't know that. And what he said could have made sense. Well, I guess you're right. I guess I didn't have to be that extravagant. Maybe I, I didn't have to pour out my resources that way. I didn't have to worship. What if she would have listened? We probably wouldn't be reading the story about her great act of worship, would we? See, for her to get through this situation, she first had to look above and go, this is an honor of God. Then she had to look beneath the insult to go, listen, um, when you look beneath the insult, it gives you the ability to overlook the offense, and that brings us to the last thing before we close. And this is something I believe every one of us in this room have dealt with before, is we gotta look beneath and see the pain that others are going through. You have to look beneath and see the pain that others are going through. A lot of times when we face criticism, when we are disappointing other people with what's going on with us, and we're going, why am I being criticized here? A lot of times we don't recognize the pain that other people are going through. I, as a husband and a father, I, I fail all the time. Like There are times I'll come home and I'll take my struggles from the day out on my family where I, I can remember there was a while back, I, I came home and Amelie was trying to talk to me and it was a very simple conversation. It was benign. There was no, not even a conflict. She's talking to me and I'm just snapping at her, just snapping at her, just, just frustrated. And, and, and it's like all of a sudden I woke up and it's like the Holy Spirit grabbed a hold of me. He's like, Dan, knock it off. And, and, and I had to stop and get, can, can I just have a do-over? Like, I, I'm sorry right now because th this has nothing to do with you. Because the truth is, I got hurt today. This happened at work and I got this phone call and this struggle happened. And, and, and with all of these different things going on, I have got some struggles going on in the inside right now and I'm taking them out on you and that's not even fair. And I am sorry about that. When I first started in ministry, uh, I was taught something that that it was a little shocking to me, but I've seen it over and over again. And I was taught that hurting people hurt people. That when people are hurting, they, they lash out, they bite. And in fact, shockingly enough, that's probably some of the meanest things I've ever heard one human being say to another, the meanest acts I've ever seen have taken place around funerals. When, when, when families are mourning and, and need to be pulling together and, and there's such a hurt going on, people don't know what to do with it, so they're lashing out around the, the people that are around them and just, like, like just so, so mad, so frustrated, so, and it has nothing to do with the other person. There's a hurt going on. 
The late author Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven uh, Habits of Highly Effective People, wrote a story, and, and I don't know if you've heard this story before, but I'll try to share it the best uh, as I can with my memory. But uh, he talked about the fact of having a paradigm shift where he started becoming empathetic towards the pain that other people are going through, because the truth is, on the surface, you and I don't know the pain that other people are going through. The person sitting right next to you, they've got hurts they're dealing with right now. And you might think you know them very well, but there's things going on on the inside that, that's not surface level. We don't know it. And he said that he got on a subway one day in New York City and, and there was a, a, a man who got on the subway with his kids and the kids were just like crazy. They were screaming and pulling each other's hair and fighting and throwing things. And the man just kind of sat down and zoned out. And the kids got to the point where they were so disruptive. They were like reaching out and grabbing other people's stuff and like pulling out other people's papers and briefcases and stuff. And it was so distracting where Stephen finally said, I got to do something about this. And he looked at the man and said, sir, excuse me, do you realize how disruptive your kids are being? And he said, it's like the, the man finally came to an awareness for the first time of what was taking place around him. He goes, oh, I'm so sorry, I, I guess you're right. We just left to the hospital where their mother just died and I'm in shock and I, I guess they don't know how to deal with it either. And Stephen said it was at that moment, all of his frustration left. And now he's not looking at how he's been wronged and frustrated by what was going on around him. Now he's empathetic and he's thinking, there's true pain going on here and how can I help this man? And I don't even know what to do right now because he's going through so much right now that who cares what's going on on the surface level? We gotta deal with what's going on uh, on a very deep level inside this man's heart right now. And here's the truth. You will never know the motives of the people around you that are criticizing you. And you will never know the pain of, of what's going on deep inside the hearts of people that are criticizing you. So we have got to take from this story what Mary did and use it as an example. And even though there's criticism, even though we don't know the true motives, we don't know the pain, what we've got to do is we've got to look up and see who this dinner is in honor of and say, I'm going to go to the feet of Jesus and I'm going to do what I came here to do. I'm going to worship him regardless of if it's going to disappoint people or not because the part party is not for anyone else. The party is for him. So church family, I want to encourage you because if you've lived life for any period of time, you've, you've received some criticism where the enemy has been trying to knock you off of the plan God has for you. And he's tried to get you to stop worshiping. He's tried to get you to stop going to the feet of Jesus. But, but if we can just remember this whole party is in his honor then all the objections of the others lose their weight. Heavenly Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this room. And God, we need your help because every one of us in this room, we've been hurt. Everyone in this, in this room have been criticized. We've, we, we've had motives that were good, but they've been misinterpreted where people thought our motives were bad. And um, God, we ask for your help that instead of focusing on what everyone else is thinking and what everyone else is doing, I pray that you would give us the strength to, to do what we came here to do, to get to your feet, to, to, to worship you, to pour out on you, because it's all about you. And God, as, as you help us remember that, I pray that you would lift us up and help us and heal us, God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. I love you, church family. I hope you have a wonderful week. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. 
The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. You can do that right now. I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on a cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.